Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh... Your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, Austin, we just uh, finished Scott Pilgrim last week. Mm -hmm. Really great episode. I'm really happy with how that, that one turned out. Wait, how, how did you feel about the episode, real quick? Um, there was a lot of stuff that we didn't get to, which is fine. I always feel like that's the case with our episodes. Like, even though we, we have, like, kind of long episodes for some of them, like two hours, mm-hmm. we still don't get into a lot of, like, there's so much more to talk about when it comes to these films. I wish we could have we could have uh, clipped some of the Brie Larson lines. Mm. Uh, I wish we could have went into some of the references. But we did we did a lot, though. I mean, like if if it made you want to watch that movie, if it made you want to see Scott Pilgrim in a different way, then I think we did our job. Right. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm one of the one of the things that I'm very proud about was that we gave um, Brad Allen. Brad Allen. Yes. I'm very happy that we gave Brad Allen a shout out because he I, passed away the day of the we were recording the yeah. second part. That's another thing that I wish we did more on, because I afterwards I read way more about him. And his work is going to be seen in the new Marvel movie, Shang-Chi mm-hmm. and this Ten Rings. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, man. I know that he worked on the new Kingsman movie, the Kingsman. Mm-hmm. And I'm he like... also did the did the, the first one, too. Mm-hmm. That scene in the church, which like it's a very well done scene. I just don't know how well it fits thematically with the rest of the movie. <laughs> but it's still a badass scene. There's no, there's no denying that he put in a hundred percent into those fight scenes. Yeah. Also, a similar in a similar vein, it's a very badass scene, but like how it fits within the rest of the movies, like, hmm, is the the Rogue One Darth Vader scene? <laughs> yeah. There you go. There's our, there's our Star Wars. That was him as well. No, he did. He choreographed that. Yeah. Uh, Edgar Wright talks about it in the editorial he wrote, or. Yeah, editorial he wrote for Empire, uh, talking about all of Brad Allen's work and how they became friends and everything. That is incredible. This man, he had such a big impact on so many, so many films that we love and cherish. And he's he makes these badass fight scenes. I mean, we should do a martial arts movie eventually. Yes, There's yeah. one that I really, really want to do, but it's it's like a recent movie. Which one was uh, it? It's called Shadow. The Hedgehog? No. You, <laughs> oh my god. It's it's by <laughs> it's by the guy who did uh, House of Flying Daggers. Oh. And also okay. uh The Wall with, with Matt Damon. Oh. Like, okay. like House of Flying Daggers, like I think it's a really good movie. The Wall. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a very good movie at all. But when he did Shadow, it had like a 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was like, okay, maybe maybe he's back. And I watched it. I'm like, this is incredible. I love this. The one, the, <laughs> but, the martial arts movie I've been wanting to watch is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Because that was Ang Lee. 
Mm-hmm. And I've wanted to do a feature, uh, a double feature with Ang Lee. I wanted to do Crouching Tiger and the 2003 Hulk film. You know, that is my preferred Hulk movie. He, here's what I'll say. I disliked that movie back then a lot. I am curious to rewatch it. <laughs> but I, I feel like it is not going to hold up. Uh, we'll see. Personally. It's, it's very different. It's a very comic book movie. Like, Ang Lee really tried to turn a comic book into a movie and have s- stuff from the comic book carry over into the cinematic language of movies. Uh, so, I'll applaud him for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay. What movie are we going to be talking about this week, Austin? This week, we're going to be talking about 1987's Dirty Dancing, directed by Emile Ardolino, starring Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. Jennifer Grey has top billing. She does. And if you watch that movie, she is the the main character of that movie. You know, we're following her. We're introduced to this world of sultry dancing through her. I've never seen this movie. You've never seen this movie. I've never seen this okay. movie. I obviously have heard references and stuff to it. I love Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Loved him since I saw Point Break as a kid. Uh, but I never got around to watching this movie. I don't know why. I don't, I'm not familiar with Jennifer Grey. I'm not familiar with Emil Ardolino. You've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, though. You haven't? Uh, I have not. Wow. I have not. Exposed. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I I've I've look, it looks really cool and fun. And I love Matthew Broderick, but that's the one I haven't seen. And it's just like I don't know mm-hmm. why I don't know why it hasn't got taken me the, I don't know why it's taken me this long to watch it, but I just have not. It's so funny because in that movie he plays like the cool guy who the nerdy kid wants to be like. Um, who might not be real, depending on your interpretation of the movie. <laughs> but that's the only time when Matthew Broderick is the cool guy. I, I watched War Games. That's my favorite Matthew Broderick film. And mm-hmm. I mean, from that from that get-go, he very much solidifies himself as like not the action, not the traditional action or romantic lead. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, he's no yeah. Patrick Swayze. Let's put it right. that way. <laughs> He's not going to roundhouse kick people and stuff. You see, know? I would love to see that movie with Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Wait, War Games? so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Patrick Swayze has like this bravado about him where it's like, that's a man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. he's like equal parts beautiful, equal parts father, equal parts hand. It's just, oh, he's great. I love Patrick Swayze. The Outsiders, Point Break, like, he's... Have you seen Donnie Darko? I have not. That's another uh, one I... Oh, my God. You, Austin, what You the should f- watch it. Bro, what the fuck, it's, man? You're, like, hey, outing. That's what, that's what you do this podcast. <laughs> you know what? I'll give you one. I'll give you one for free. I've never seen Point Break. <gasps> you haven't? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I know. I've I've heard. And it's directed by Catherine Bigelow. Cath- Man. Ooh, that woman killed it. She Point Break is so great. And it's one of the things that some of the things don't hold up. Keanu's line mm-hmm. of, I am an FBI agent. It's <laughs> kind of cringy. But when they announced the remake, I was like, why? 
think you're going to really like Point Break. I think you would appreciate Hot Fuzz more having seen Point Break. Because there's they reference that movie a lot. Wow, this whole episode is just a circle. Like we're bringing it to Scott Pilgrim and underage dating and then Dirty Dancing and Patrick Swayze. It, well, yeah. Anyway, 1987. We're, we're this episode's going to be about Dirty Dancing. What do you know about Dirty Dancing, George? Um, Patrick Swayze is in it. He's beautiful. <laughs> he's sexy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got some dirty dancing. Oh, oh, I do know that there's this moment where she runs at him and then he lifts her up over his yeah. head. I know <laughs> yeah. that because they reference that in Crazy Stupid Love with Ryan Gosling. They Gossel- reference that everywhere. Oh, really? Yeah, that's just like the thing that everyone does. It's like, oh, like dirty dancing, you're going to lift me. And then the guy will not lift her if it's a comedy. Oh, she's she just bulldozes him or whatever. Well, he's no, no, no. He's just not strong like Patrick Swayze is. That's what yeah. it is. I've seen that gag before, but the one it stood mm-hmm. out was like, oh, that's from Dirty Dancing was Crazy Stupid Love with Emma Stone yeah. and Ryan Gosling. Uh, there was this guy on SNL who part of like one of his stand up bits was he he do Dirty Dancing and he just play the song and then like dress like Patrick Swayze and like pretend to do the routine. But then it goes wrong and he has to like bury the body. <laughs> What? Oh, because yeah. he because he killed her because she yeah because he, he like dropped her. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really funny. His name was John Rud John Rudnitsky, and he did that once on the weekend update. I'm like, man, this guy's hilarious. And then he didn't get renewed for the next season. <laughs> yeah, but man, that that was funny. Speaking of SNL, I am familiar with the SNL sketch that Patrick Swayze had with uh, the guy that was voicing Shrek. What was his name? Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Yeah. The guy who did not voice Shrek, but well, was going to. Well, was going. To, yeah, that's what I meant. He yeah. was going to. He originally voiced Shrek until he passed away. And I saw that sketch between him and Patrick Swayze where they're auditioning for Chippendales. Yeah. I watched that the <laughs> other day. Like it wasn't it wasn't even a week ago. And I'm like, how did I end up here? But it made me love <laughs> Patrick Swayze even more. Yeah. Patrick Swayze is great. Fantastic. Uh, I love I love Roadhouse. It's like a really cheesy 80s movie, but it's so funny. It makes no sense, but it's such a great watch. I, I still enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Outside of Patrick Swayze and that dance something, I don't know anything about this movie. Well, this movie uh, I knew about for a long time. I knew the soundtrack was like really influential. When I was researching Space Jam, I saw that. Um, I think this album, the soundtrack had sold more copies than Space Jam. And Space Jam was already in like the top 20 of all time. I knew that Jennifer Grey was in it and she was the older Ferris Bueller's older sister. And then when I started going out with Leanna, it was like one of our like, you haven't seen this movie? Oh, you should see this movie kind of things. You know, like I showed her Blade Runner and stuff and she showed me Underworld and then she showed me Dirty Dancing. And as I was watching it, I was like, this movie is like, very sensual very sexual and the the plot line is it's an 80s movie right Mm -hmm. but it takes place in like the early 60s so it's like an 80s version of the 60s and it's it's kind of weird watching that in like 2020 okay or 2019 whenever i saw this movie there's a like the inciting incident of the movie is uh one of the the dancers needs to get an abortion oh shit yeah and and she can't go it's they're in like uh upstate new york or something 
right? She she can't get a safe abortion. So she has to like pay this like shady doctor to handle it. I don't know if they ever use the word abortion or if it's just like take care of it. And they they lean into the fact that she's uh like she's like a working class, right? Like these all these rich people come to upstate New York to like a vacation and hang around and then they leave. But all the people that work there kind of live there and they're a community that kind of like watches out for each other. I think it does better with class relations, you know, like blue collar, white collar class relations. I think it does it better than Titanic, to be honest. Really? Because Titanic is oh, yeah. pretty fucking obvious. It's like too on the nose, you know? That's my problem with that movie. Like, the second she goes down, un like, goes into the elevator and sees all everyone's just, like, happy. And it's like, oh, we don't care about money. We just, we're just having a good time. We're all family here. And it, it just seems, like, too, like, black and white. You know what I mean? So this Whereas movie is more in, nuanced? I, I think so. There's also, like, this, the romance between Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, which is great. But the age difference does make it feel, like, a little bit. A little uncomfortable, I guess. Do they acknowledge it in the film? You never know how old Patrick Swayze is supposed to be. Mm. But you know that she's 16. <laughs> but, you know, did did it bother you when you were watching Call Me By Your Name? Honestly, I didn't even notice when it was Call Me By Your Name. I, I, I didn't even care. Like, while watching that movie, it was... Because I can't... I can't really even remember if it bothered me because I saw it in theaters and I loved I loved that movie. And yeah, same. It didn't. No, there was no moment. It honestly it bothered me a lot more in Scott Pilgrim or not bothered me, but it just made me feel a little uneasy. Call me by your name. I can't remember having that uneasiness, if that makes sense. Because you know that he's 17. Yes. Timothy Chalamet's character is supposed to be 17. And. Army Hammer's character is a grad student. Way older, yeah. Way older. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird how sometimes, I think because Scott Pilgrim starts with, Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. It's like out in front and it sounds like it's supposed to be inappropriate. Yeah. Whereas in movies like Dirty Dancing or Call Me By Your Name, it's not made out to be inappropriate. In Dirty Dancing, it's more inappropriate because... Patrick Swayze is a part of like this like blue collar working class like they they don't have any future aspirations or whatever and uh, Jennifer Grey's family is like they're like rich mm. her dad's a doctor and everything it's very strange because now that you brought up dirty or, uh, call me by your name it is like how are we willing to make these exceptions for certain films but not others do you know what I mean mm -hmm. that's a it's a great question because I'm sure that Dirty Dancing is not the only film to have that kind of relationship. I'm sure there have been older men who have been paired up with uh, young women in in films. In Indiana Jones, um, I forgot, in uh, Indiana Jones and... Uh, the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <clears throat> she was, apparently, Indy was 22 when he met up with her and she was 16. Uh -huh. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. Do you know what I mean? It's just, one. I'm like wondering, because mm -hmm. you're, because you're right. Call me by, by, call me by your name did not upset me. It didn't. Um, this movie, it's a little weird, but I'm sure while watch while I'm watching it, unless it does something egregiously wrong, I don't think it might bother me. That's my prediction. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah, I I really really like this. Really like Dirty Dancing when I first saw it. Um, I'm excited to watch it again. But let's go back to 1987. We've actually talked about it before, but I don't think I gave you the list. Oh. Uh, 1987 was also the year RoboCop came out. Oh, oh, which our, is our was our first first episode. All right, so 1987, highest grossing movie of the year, Beverly Hills Cop Two. Oh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Do 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 do. Uh, number two, Fatal Attraction. Oh, was that the uh, Michael Douglas one? Is it Michael Douglas? I always get Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct confused. Oh. Like, I forget who the, the male lead is. But Glenn Close is the fem- like the female antagonist, I guess, in Fatal Attraction. It is Michael and It is Michael Douglas. It is Michael Douglas? Yes. Okay. It's Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. Because you said Glenn Close, and I was like, I remember that hair. And I know Sharon Stone is Basic Instinct. I don't know who the guy is in that movie. Oh, it might be Michael Douglas. <laughs> Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. It is Michael Douglas in oh both God. of them. I'll never forget when I found out that um, Michael Douglas and Martin Sheen were two different people. Really? Because for me, I thought they were the same guy. And then I was like, wait a minute. These are two different guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait they a second. They play the same type of characters, though. Something ain't adding up. Anyway, number three was Platoon. Ooh. Willem Dafoe, uh, Charlie Sheen. Great film. Oliver Stone. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. 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 Uh, Number four, Three Men and a Baby. Never seen it. Uh, Three Men and a Baby, I think, was Tom Selleck, and there were, like, three dudes raising a kid. Because it takes three dudes. Jesus Christ. It's one of those, like, oh, look at these men try to take care of a baby (laughs) for 90 minutes. Look at look at them try to breastfeed. Ha! Isn't that funny? <laughs> hey, you're making this sound kind of cool. I'm curious now. Uh, uh, number five, the Untouchables. Mm, okay. Brian De Palma, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Waterworld guy. Kevin Cos. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Yeah. Uh, number six, The Secret of My Success, a movie I've never heard of. Same. The it's Michael J. Fox movie. Okay. Um, number seven was this movie called Stakeout. Now Stakeout, I was like, what the hell is this movie? I've never heard of it because it came out the same. It was number one when Dirty Dancing came out in August twenty first of nineteen eighty seven. I was I just checked the weekend to see which movie was number one, and it was Stakeout. And I watched the trailer for Stakeout, and Jesus Christ. That movie will not hold up very well. Stake <laughs> out. Yeah, it's Richard Dreyfus and uh, Emilio Estevez, and they're on a stakeout to see if this uh, the ex boyfriend of this woman will show up because he escaped jail, and they, he's wanted he's a murderer and everything. So they're like staking out her place to protect her. No, <laughs> to to catch the guy. Oh, okay. Well, and, and Richard Dreyfus. Ends up falling in love with her. The trailer is like, yikes. (laughs) (laughs) They're like spying on her dress and everything. He's like going around her underwear. They're like, the poster is them hiding under her bed. And she's like taking her shoes off. Yeah, that doesn't sound. (laughs) Anyway, um, number eight, Lethal Weapon. 
Oh, okay. Number nine, The Witches of Eastwick. Okay. And number 10, Predator. Oh, really? That low? Yeah. I, it's like an R-rated horror action movie. I but Those tend to place lower. I guess, but that movie's awesome. I would have figured it'd do a lot better. Now, because of the, the legacy that the Predator character has... You know, back in 1987, there wasn't a Predator movie before. That's a good point. What damn? Had a bunch of action stars: um, Car- Carl Weathers, uh, Arnold, obviously, Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man! But yeah, also coming out this year is RoboCop, La Bamba, Crocodile Dundee, Full Metal Jacket, and Spaceballs. Mm. I'm curious. So where does the uh, Dirty Dancing lie. Dirty Dancing was number 12 at the domestic box office. Okay. However, at the worldwide box office, it was number three. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it it made more. And number four was The Living Daylights, which was a James Bond movie. So more people saw Dirty Dancing than James Bond. Damn. Okay. Yeah, because I I was watching this. I I have my... um, I have my pages up right now, and I saw that mm-hmm. Dirty Dancing pulled in $214 million. In 1987. 19- that's a lot of money. That's a lot of fucking money. On a budget of 4.5. Uh, 50 times the investment cost of this movie. Five, 40. 5 times 40 is 200. 4.5. That's how much it cost to make the movie. Mm-hmm. And the marketing costs back then were not that high. Not as high as they are now. And for it to bring in over 200 million, that is so much money. I'm I'm thinking how, because, you know, I'm looking at how profitable the film was and how does it compare to that list? Because, so you have your highest grossing films, right? Which is what, uh, Avatar right now, Endgame, not adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation, I think it's like Star, or Gone with the Wind, Star Wars, uh, but there's also a list of films that are most profitable. Avengers Endgame yeah. was not the most profitable film of all time. It made... Because it costs like a billion dollars to make. Exactly. Profitable movies is a very different game. I think the most profitable film of all time might be, or might be, or in Hollywood at least, is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I feel like that's the film that's tossed around a lot. Or like uh, Paranormal Activity. You know, those mm-hmm. films brought in so much money and their bu- their budgets were so small. Yeah. And with Dirty Dancing, I can't help but wonder, where does this film land on that list? Because 4.5, 5 million. And it got 215? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, ooh. This movie had sequels and TV series based off of it, too. I don't know if you remember the Diego Luna one. <laughs> I, I don't. They even did one in 2017 with Abigail Breslin. It was like a made-for-TV movie on ABC. Whoa. Yeah, it does not have very good reviews. And it it just looks like a like a cheaper version of the original one. <laughs> like made-for-TV. They have like the same lines and everything. And I'm like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> okay. You know, it's like, uh, I want to see Dirty Dancing. We have Dirty Dancing at home. and it's the 2017 version yeah (laughs) honestly you got me hyped for this movie it's it's really cool it's 
very sexy uh and the the soundtrack is so good i don't i'm not inside riz's head right but Mm -hmm. they there's a song in this movie um love is strange it has this like iconic guitar riff and pitbull sampled it but before that rizza sampled it for i think the seventh chamber in the first wu-tang album i know that he's kind of like a movie guy i'm wondering if he's if he saw dirty dancing and was like i'm gonna put that in the track one day (laughs) (laughs) no that's probably what happened that's still happening to this day i mean uh look at kanye and uh jay-z's song uh about about being in paris and they (laughs) they and (laughs) and uh, they they sampled will ferrell from uh blades of glory do one song and one song only uh yeah i I love to it's probably really hard to ask these producers and musicians and DJs or whatever to like where did you get the inspiration to use that sample like where was the first time you heard it and what made you want to use it for this track all right well you know what you got me hyped for dirty dancing I'm yeah. really excited uh this was this was such a weird choice because you and I sat down talking about the films that we were gonna do and you were like dirty dancing I'm like when the fuck have we ever talked about Dirty Dancing? Because <laughs> every because every film on that list have been things that we've kind of talked about or mm-hmm. that other people have like brought up and stuff. Never did we ever talk about Dirty Dancing. So it's just random. Oh, it's it's great the way you framed it. It got me intrigued. Yeah, I'm All excited right. to watch it again. I believe this movie is on Amazon. It's on Cinemax. It's also on Amazon Prime Video. Which is how I saw it the first time. Are you curious to st- about anything going into the movie besides the uh, profitability of the of the film? Well, I mean, number one, I'm intrigued to see this story actually play out because I don't. I, I, what I'm curious is how do I feel? How do I feel about the age difference, the age gap between the two leads? Right. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. about it earlier. Sometimes it bothers me. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, we went into length about it at Scott Pilgrim. I'm curious to see if maybe this might make me cringe a little bit or if I'll just forget about it. I hope I just forget about it. But, you know, it is something that you you can't help but pay attention to nowadays, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about that. Um, curious about the soundtrack because I even I know a little bit of the songs. Uh, what's, the, what's that song that everyone... Uh, uh... Have the time of my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I'm curious about the soundtrack. Hungry Eyes. Oh my God, I love that song. There's something about 80 films and their soundtracks just slapping. I mean, we, we talked about it in mm-hmm. Top Gun. Top Gun in Little Shop of Horrors. They, I don't think that movies have the same relationship to pop songs as they did in the 80s. Like people would make songs for those movies and those songs would be like smash hits, movies would be hits. Nowadays, I don't think that happens as much. Well, I think what happens nowadays is there'll be a pop popular song and people, filmmakers will try to put it in their film or studios will tell filmmakers to put the film in because it's like, oh, it's it's Cardi B. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, which is something that happens in Fast 9. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spoilers, I guess. But and another thing that I'm kind of... Uh, 
curious about is just how sensual it is. I mean, we, we, we've talked about this a lot, but now it mm-hmm. just seems that there is no, there's nothing sexy in the mainstream market nowadays. Like, if you're going to be sexy, you're going to be R-rated, right? But this is a PG-13 film from 87. It made a ton of money, and you're saying that it's very sensual, very romantic. I'm curious to see how far they push it, and and also, like, why were people attracted to it? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I th- 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 these are a few of the things that I'm curious. I'm kind of curious uh, as to like why Jennifer Grey didn't do like more hits like this because Ferris Bueller's Day Off was in '86, and then '87 was Dirty Dancing, number three at the worldwide box office. I don't think I think those are the only two movies I've seen her in. Like, why wasn't she in more stuff that? You know, you can say the name now and I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, Jennifer Grey. I love her in that movie. You know what I mean? I wasn't familiar with her. Um, Patrick Tracy. Yeah, I knew about him, yeah. but. But yeah. Jennifer Grey, I'm not I'm not familiar with her. I'm, I'm wondering why that is like she was in two very, very successful movies. Why wasn't she in more of them? She is the lead actress. So, she's or so she's the, good in it. Not even the lead actress. She's the lead of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, I'm curious to see why why the shift. I mean, maybe she kept acting, but maybe just... oh, she definitely kept acting. Like she was busy throughout her her uh, acting career, and she's still acting and stuff. Oh shit! Um, I'm just kind of curious as as to why she didn't do other like huge things because she's great. All right, well, that's all we have for now. We will see you in one minute. Bye bye. Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey. Whoa, our summer romances are in full bloom, and everybody but everybody's in love. So, cousins, here's a great song from the Four Seasons. That was the summer of 1963, when everybody called me baby, and it didn't occur to me to mind. Before President Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came, when I couldn't wait to join the Peace Corps, and I thought I'd never find a guy as great as my dad. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We have just finished watching Dirty Dancing from 1987, directed by Emil Ardolino, written by Eleanor Bergstein and produced by Linda Gottlieb. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Yeah, these things are hard, man. <laughs> but uh, George, this is your first time watching Dirty Dancing. Yes. Um, and so, what did what did you think? Okay, so something that I need to do for future episodes is when there's a film that I haven't seen, I need to say what I think the film is going to be about, how the film's going to play out, and that way I can compare and contrast. Um what I thought was going to happen with what really happened because holy shit, I did not expect this movie to go the way it did (laughs) because let me, let me explain. Let me explain to you how I imagined dirty dancing was going to be. Right. I imagined that it was going to be a girl from one world and she was going to meet this bad boy named, you know, or played by Patrick Swayze, you know, and there was going to be some dance competition or some dance number and that, and that they were going to work up to it. At the very, which was going to take place at the end of the film, but meanwhile, it's like 
they hate each other at first, but as they start dancing, it becomes more sensual and they love each other. But then there's like a romantic misunderstanding where the guy's ex comes back and like, or like he slept with too many people and like the girl's jealous. It's some something like that, right? If you, you know, that's kind of how I imagined it was going to be, right? Okay. And I'm not that far off. But it's funny how there's like an entire element to this movie that I did not even know was existing in it. In fact, I'm kind of upset at you a little bit. Why? Because when we were talking about this episode, you mentioned that there is an abortion storyline. Yes, it is the inciting incident. And I had no idea. But because you told me, I already had an idea as to, okay, that's a bit weird. I didn't imagine the film <laughs> wow. was going to talk about that. I didn't know. I didn't think. Because, right, in my little vision of what the film was, it was going to be a dance competition. I didn't know abortion was going to be in it. But I, I did tell you. You did tell me. And I you I wish you shouldn't have. Because I would have much rather seen this oh, movie okay. not having known that. Because, again, I'm walking in not really knowing what the film's about. And I and then you watch it. If I feel like if I would have watched it, and then the abortion storyline is introduced very early on. I would have been like, whoa. Maybe we should do the story first. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so the movie starts with this like really sensual title sequence of these people dancing dirty um, to the song Be My Baby. Uh, and you see like a lot of leg shots and a lot of grinding and stuff. And then it goes into the Four Seasons Big Girls Don't Cry. And you have the narration of, of our main character, Baby whose real name is Frances. Uh, she's talking about how this was the summer of 63, like the like last summer she had before she like went off to join the Peace Corps or something. It was the summer before Kennedy was shot, before the Beatles came. Her family goes to this like Catskill, I think they're called the Catskills, this area in, in New York. It's like a resort where families go and hang out and do like cheesy dances and games and stuff when they get there they, they meet like the guy who owns the place max kellerman who's like telling them all the things that they can do and he's yelling at this guy billy billy get the bags <laughs> and then baby she's like an idealistic young woman she wants to like go and join the peace corps she's liberal and she wants to like help people who are disenfranchised Meanwhile, her daughter or her dad's a doctor. Her mom, we don't really know much about her. And her sister, Lisa, she's like, uh, she's very into the whole like rich girl thing. You know, mm -hmm. they go to like a merengue class and baby's awful at it. She's she's got no rhythm. And then she kind of sneaks around and she sees Max Kellerman talk to the staff and how the, he, how he treats the staff. He's like telling them like, hey. You got to take care of the daughters, even the dogs. And then Johnny walks in, Johnny Castle, played by Patrick Swayze, who is a dance instructor. And the way that he talks to jo Max Kellerman talks to Johnny makes it seem like he has kind of a bad reputation with the girls, with the daughters of all these rich people. We are introduced to Robbie, who's like a Yale student or he's going to Yale He's one of the waiters. Uh, Max Kellerman kind of talks him up in front of baby's dad. Uh, we meet Neil, who is Max's grandson, who 
who's like going to inherit everything. He's like going to have two hotels in the future. Um, and baby doesn't really vibe with these people. She's really interested in this Johnny guy. Uh, as soon as she lays eyes on him, she's like, who's that? <laughs> and there's a, a part where they're all dancing. And then Johnny dances with Penny, who's another dance instructor. Uh, and they're dancing like really, really good. And everyone's looking at them in awe. And Neil is like, they shouldn't be showing off like that. That's not going to sell lessons. And even Max, the owner of the resort, he's like, cut it out, guys. So then they all like stop dancing and they just do like the regular dances with all the guests. Baby's like kind of forced to like go into like the, the cheesy stuff. They like make her do like this magic show. Um, and then she she goes off again and she's helps Billy, the guy that she helped with the bags earlier, carry these watermelons. And then she's she goes into like this secret, like underground dirty dance party with all the the staff, like um, not not Robbie, but like everybody else. Um, and she's kind of clocks Johnny again. And she's like, oh, is Penny his girlfriend? And Billy's like, no, but you would think that they are. And then she dances a little bit with Johnny and she's not a very good dancer, but she's like really digging dancing with Johnny. And he kind of just goes off and dances with somebody else. And then we see baby with her family and we see this woman, Vivian, who's dancing with Johnny. She's like a, I guess, a trophy wife kind of situation. Her husband is a poker player and all he does is play poker when he's at the place. So she kind of hangs around and it's alluded that she has sex with Johnny in, in she like pays for dance lessons, but she's really just there to have sex with him. Neil, the grandson takes her off to, to like walk around. He's trying to romance her, but she's not interested in him. And then as they're walking off, she sees that Penny is like in distress and she goes over and tells Billy, who tells Johnny that, hey, Penny's in trouble. So they go and check her out. And then we find out that Penny is pregnant and Robbie is the father. Robbie the creep. So they say that there's like this doctor who can come in and abort the pregnancy because she can't afford to miss out on work. These, these people all work to live. So she's like, oh, well, you can get Johnny to give you the money. And they're like, Johnny's an asshole. So she tries to go to Johnny. He's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. It's not Johnny. It's Robbie. Robbie. Robbie says it's not it. I don't even know if it's my kid. Some people matter. Some people don't. Hey, read this book called The Fountainhead. And I want it back because I have notes in the margin. <laughs> uh, so she's she's like, you're you're a creep. Stay away from me. Stay away from my sister. And she like pours water on his pants and then goes back, asks her dad for $250 to pay for the abortion. But she doesn't tell the dad what it's for. She says, you always told me to help people in trouble and someone's in trouble and I need this money. By the way, $250 in 1963, which is when this movie takes place, 2000, about $2,500. Um, which is a he lot of money. Gave his daughter, he just gave his daughter 2,000 grand like that? Yeah, without even knowing what it's for. And he's like, all right, I'll give it to you after dinner. So then she goes over, gives the money to, to Penny. And they're like, thanks, but we can't take the money because the only day the doctor's in town is Thursday. And we have a dance uh, performance to do. And we can't miss 
on the dance performance because we'll lose this season and the next year's gig. Johnny is kind of irritated that Baby thinks that like money can solve everything and and he's like, what are you, are you going to fill in for her or something? And she ends up filling in for Penny. They start dancing, training. It's like two training montages. And you can see that Baby's slowly getting better and she's like getting to dance with Johnny, which is what she wanted in the first place. Um, and then it comes down time to like the performance at this other hotel. And she... She does the, the performance. She doesn't do the lift. It's, it's a really funny sequence. You can tell that she's not a dancer, but she, they're passable. Um, so Johnny's like, yeah, that was that was good. You did good. He was kind of a dick to her when they were training, but now he's like thankful and appreciative of her time. And when they get back, the surgery, the abortion was botched. Baby runs and goes tell her to tell her father, hey, someone's in trouble. So he goes over and he sees what's happening. And he's like, oh, this is what my money went for. So he saves Penny's life. And then he doesn't take John. He doesn't shake Johnny's hand because he assumes that Johnny's the father. And he tells baby, never go around these people again. You're not the person I thought you were. Baby goes back to Johnny afterwards. And she tells him that she apologizes for her father. And he's like, oh, he only treats me like that because I'm nothing. And he's he's a great doctor. He's going to do amazing things. And then they they start dancing again and then they have sex. And then there's a talent show announcement. And then the dad's he's still upset about baby using his money for an abortion. He's like, we're going to leave before the weekend. And then he changes his mind. It's really awkward family conversation because he doesn't tell anybody else why he's upset with baby. So they're all just like, what's wrong with you, dad? Uh, So. She goes and she still dances with Johnny and stuff. She still hangs out with Johnny. Uh, and then she sees Neil talk to Johnny. She, she sees Neil talk down to Johnny. She's tr- Neil is trying to make Johnny do this like cheesy dance thing, even though Johnny is really ambitious and he has new ideas. And then she, and when they walk off together, she's like, you should fight harder because you're talented and, He's like, yeah, well, I need this job. You don't you don't know what it's like. And then she sees her dad and she's like, oh, Johnny, get down. I can't I can't let my dad see me with you. And he's like, huh, fight harder, huh? I don't think you ever want to tell your dad about me. They uh, practice for the talent show. Johnny turns down like the rich pokers trophies wife for sex. And then she gets upset and she has sex with Robbie. And then she catches baby with Johnny and then she tries to like uh, frame him for stealing people's wallets so now Max is gonna go fire him but baby's like you you can't you can't fire him because Johnny Johnny is with with me last night that's his alibi she says this in front of her whole family and then Johnny still gets fired because he was having sex with one of the guests daughters Uh, so then they have like this sad goodbye scene Uh, She goes to her dad and she's like, you know what? I did help someone who needed help, but you only want me to help people who are like you, who are like rich and successful, whatever. So the talent show happens. Johnny drives away, but then he comes back and they have like the big dance with the time of your life song at the end. The dad finds out that Robbie was Penny's baby daddy who abandoned her. And he's like, 
you're you're not the man I thought you were. And then he goes over and apologizes to John, Johnny, and then they kind of dance as the song fades out. And that's the end. Yeah, it's pretty surprising. I definitely did not think because I imagined that the entire film was going to take place, was going to lead up to that event at the uh, at the other hotel. Mm -hmm. But that that scene comes in halfway through the film. So I'm like, oh, so what are we doing now? What What's what's the, the rest of the 50 minutes for? And then mm -hmm. they kind of that's when that's when the that's when the, the social class stuff really comes into play. And I was really intrigued that I didn't think the film was really going to go that deep into it. Again, I thought this was like a footloose kind of movie where, oh, we can't have the kids dancing. And then you find, <laughs> then at the very end, everyone comes together. It's like, oh, dancing is not that bad. Do you know what I mean? I've never seen Footloose. I've I might be wrong about that either. <laughs> I might be wrong about that movie. Maybe that movie has social class feminist messages, undertones. But from what I've seen, it's very much you can't dance. Dancing's illegal. I was surprised, man. I was told, I wish he hadn't told me about the abortion thing. Cause I feel, cause my, I can't imagine how I would have been like, if I had seen that and it's like, oh shit. What? What? Cause it really comes out of nowhere. You know, baby mm -hmm. and baby and Neil are in the kitchen when they see Penny on the floor and you're like, oh my well, God, what? Neil doesn't see Penny on the floor. No, no, he doesn't. Yeah. Baby does. And, but like, I saw that scene. I was like, oh, this is the abortion thing. Because because watching the film, I'm like, all right, how does this abortion come into play? Like, where is it? Mm -hmm. And it's not really even subtly introduced. It's just like, boom, Penny's here crying on the floor. I was it's like, whoa, OK. Um, It is the inciting incident. It's what the bulk of the it's what half of the film revolves around them. Mm -hmm. A baby prepping for this uh, this dance routine. It's. It's so tied into the plot that there was like after they filmed it and everything and they were trying to like uh, get it into theaters. Right. Because the, the production company's Vis Vestron Pictures, which was primarily a like home video distribution company who then started to do feature movies. And this was their first one. Really? So it was very, very low budget. Four point five million, which we mentioned before. Very low budget. And Super they needed lucrative though. Yeah. The um yeah. But there was a sponsor, Clarisil, I think is the like the acne company, who pulled out of this movie because of the abortion. And the, the studio wanted um the writer, Eleanor Bergstein, to take it out of the movie. But because it's just so like you can't remove it. You know what I mean? Like even well, even like the there's this subplot of like these old people stealing wallets. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, there's a scene right before Penny tells baby, I'm scared about what's gonna happen tonight. Cause the tonight's the night of the abortion and everything. Um, right before that, you see the 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 Schumachers, I believe their names are, yeah. drop a bag full of wallets, which is how Baby knows, oh, it was probably the Schumachers that stole all the wallets because I saw them with a bunch of wallets. I was you know so I mean? confused by that. <laughs> I, I was I was watching that and I was like, wait, why did we need this shot entirely of that? Why are they acting weird? I was like, eh, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Oh, was I wrong? Thank God Baby was paying attention. <laughs> 
And the overarching theme of that, of the kind of the message behind that storyline, which is a subplot, by the way, is kind of interesting because rich people are always going to look at the poor people for as the criminals. It's mm-hmm. not the... It's not the the other rich guests, you know. Oh, they yeah. can't do it because they're high class. They they're they don't old. steal. They're mm-hmm. old. They don't steal. And then it turns out, no, this poor person would have lost his job because of these fucking assholes. Yeah, it's even that's tied into the the film the film's message about social status and issues and you know cl- uh, class culture and stuff. It's, it's yeah, it's really interesting. Penny's abortion is the reason that baby dances in the first place like how could you edit that out of the movie and like well why is baby filling in because penny's hurt they don't say penny's hurt you know it's it's wild because i can't you could make this movie but you you like the way without the abortion but you'd have to rewrite it completely you can't mm-hmm. I can't imagine a scenario where you take just the abortion story out and everything remains the same. Like, no, you I mean, it's so thematically it's all it all ties together. I can't imagine you. Oh, Penny got hurt. OK, like it's just they would have to, like, go and film that scene, which they didn't have the money for or the time. There's there's no way to do it. Once it was on film, there was no going back. And it was something that Eleanor did. Uh, the writer, she did not want to compromise. No, it was ahead. It was. I, I mean, I can't say if it was ahead of the times because I mean, this was. It was. The, it was ahead of the times. Let's put it this way: I did not imagine a movie like Dirty Dancing being about all of this. Again, I imagined it was like a footloose in there where, oh, just take a kooky premise and a hot guy and a hot girl, and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh. Oh, you guys want to talk about abortion. You want to yeah. talk about prostitution. You want mm-hmm. to talk about uh, uh, fucking underage drinking and sex and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm I'm here for this. Let's go for it. Yeah, that is something that's like not explicitly mentioned, but it's hinted that like Johnny's kind of a sex worker. <clears throat> you know, he, he. Oh, yeah. He, that's where the prostitution comes in. He's yeah. paid for private dance lessons, quote unquote. All the guys like Max Max Kellerman has this line about like oh, she's what we call the bungalow bunnies. You know. Yeah, they <laughs> husband pays out for the whole week but only comes up on the weekend. You look great, Vivian. Terrific. <laughs> it's Vivian Pressman. One of the bungalow bunnies. That's what we call the women who stay here all week long. The husbands only come up on weekends. Mo Pressman's a big card player. He'll join our game. Mo coming up on Friday? Friday. He's away a lot. I know. It's a hardship. Again, it doesn't say a lot of things explicitly, but it's there. And that's what I mean. That's what I meant by subtle, because I, I was thinking about what you said about Titanic. And I agree. There's something about Titanic where it's a bit more straightforward, right? The rich people don't like the poor people. This is almost like, right? Like, it's not that it's like completely subtle and nuanced and stuff, but I think it dwells into that dynamic a bit more. Like, Mm -hmm. Johnny is a prostitute. Like, this place, maybe intentionally or not, kind of whores him out. 
did Max know about Vivian, the woman that he was seeing constantly? I mean, he, he, he talks I, about absolutely. Bit. He yeah, makes he, that comment to uh, Baby's dad. It's like he's trying to imply what's happening without explicitly saying it. Just exactly. with like the looks and the tone and everything. Yeah, you have that angle. You also have how just the Max speaks very highly of uh, Neil. Neil, Neil, and Robbie. You either have to go to a place that's highly revered as Yale, or you have to come from money. If you're not, you're in the background. Mm-hmm. Like you are not worth Max's time unless you're making him money. Um, it, it, this movie goes a bit more into that, and it does talk about the struggles because, man, this shit happens all the time, and it fucking frustrates me. Where a rich person will just come in and say, "Well, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? You just have to work harder." What's the saying? Uh, you have to tie the bootstraps or pick, uh, yep, pick yourself up by your bootstraps or in Penny's or Penny uh, in Baby's scenario, she's like, you just have to stand up for yourself and you just have to, and it's like, motherfucker, yeah. that's not how this works, okay? Yeah, you're fine. Your daddy could pay for everything that you want, and this motherfucker will give you two hundred and fifty dollars from the sixties easily, no problem. I can't do that. The best my dad could do is get a call from my uncle and say, oh, you have and we have an opening in our union for the painters and um, for the painters unit. So that's it. That's hard labor. That's hard labor. So our lives are very different. And I think that paint paint back then had lead in it, too. So you're like, oh, it is not exactly <laughs> like it is not an ideal working scenario. So it's like, don't talk to to Johnny like. He hasn't thought about this baby. And and, to, and in baby's defense, she does say that. She listens to what he has to say. And she kind of wraps her head around it immediately, which is something that I very much liked. Right. It's like something I dislike in movies is when two characters will argue about something that's very dumb that could yeah. be solved by a simple conversation. Two characters in this movie, <laughs> Johnny and, and baby, have a disagreement, but they talk about it. Johnny explains it from his angle and she understands it. Another scenario that happens in the movie, which again, this movie just constantly like subverted my expectations because there's a scene where Johnny sleeps with Penny or keep saying Penny, but it's baby. Um, She asks him, how many women have you been with? I've seen enough movies. So I kind of see, imagine where this conversation is going to go. He's going to say that he's just, you know, he's just he doesn't think about it. Then she's going to get offended like, oh, wow, you you slept with so many people. How can I know that you're just not going to dump me? And then there's a big argument about it. No, that's not what happens. Penny brings it up. How many women have you been with? And he talks about his relationship with the women that go there. And she's she says, like, you're you're you were just using them. And he's like, no, that's not it. They were using me. That's what. Oh, my God. And. I, I didn't even think about it from that angle. I, I that was the conversation that came. I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it going that way. And then baby listens to that, and she understands him. There's no big argument. There's no big. Well, fuck you. I you know I I'm just a piece of meat to you. No, it's, <laughs> she listens to him, and they go back to you know canoodling and kissing each other canoodling. and stuff. And I was like, well, you know. <laughs> But I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, wow, this again, they're spelling it all out and they're telling you. But I was like, there's a bit, you know, that that line of dialogue they're using me. I was like, 
Austin was right. This is way deeper than what Titanic was doing. Yeah, because is- uh, she never sees the reality for Leo's character, like Rose, Rose and Jack. She never sees what it's like to be someone in Jack's status. Again, just from vague memory, I haven't seen Titanic since the re- 3D re-release in 2012. Same. Same. Um, which, which was incredible. I still love Titanic. You know, I'm not trying to shit on it, but what you said was very true. This is this goes a bit more deeper than that. Than yeah, that film does. It's also it, some like he can join the painters union, right? That's an option for him. But like his heart and his passion is all in dancing. This another thing that this you're absolutely right. Another thing that this movie deals with is the fact that people like doctors and lawyers and they're seen as people who are serious serious who are beneficial but they never mention painters and dancers and they never mention the entertainers and it's like yeah. they have a lot to contribute as well mm-hmm. but you're just not you're not acknowledging them but pen, what, what baby says you told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break but you meant everyone who was like you told me you wanted me to change the world, make it better. But you meant by becoming a lawyer or an economist and marrying someone from Harvard? People of high class, white, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. Like, she's absolutely right. Even her father, who is a very, who's a cool guy. I'm not trying to make, his name's Jack, right? Or Jake? Jake, I believe. Jake, yes. Yeah, Jake, Jake Houseman. He's a cool guy. I don't really dislike him. He's a cool guy, but even he has his faults. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny because in the very beginning, they make it a point to understand that these this is a liberal family, right? They're talking about yeah, the fall of Vietnam and they talk they're like, about- They're uh, like more liberal than progressive. Like they're more centrist liberal. Yeah. Like, well, it's, like they'll like, it's, oh, they'll like support, you know, vocally. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I support the Freedom Riders, but then they treat- poor people like like this yeah and it's not like jake treats them badly it's not like he looks at the the waiters and stuff and he's like stupid peasant no but he he doesn't see johnny as someone who is like good for his daughter do you know what i mean he's a dancer he can't really contribute or i'm guessing it's he's never says i think it's because it's because when he sees penny after the botched abortion and he, he says, who's responsible for this girl? And then Patrick Swayze, Johnny says, I am. And then I think he kind of makes the assumption there that you does. made this girl pregnant and then you left her and you paid some butcher to. You, you don't understand that she needed this abortion to continue to live. Yeah. Right. It, it he, wasn't he, like her f- first choice. Back then in the, in the 60s, abortion was illegal. This was not yeah. an option for her. Like a safe he, and legal abortion was not an option. And he doesn't understand that Penny yeah. is reliant on this job. If she if she can't, she loses it all. He doesn't he doesn't understand that. It's something that baby learns. And it's mm-hmm. not something that Jake learns a little bit until later. And even then, I don't think he sees the full picture. Not as much not as well as baby. Uh I think he does realize that, you know what? Some of these people are scummy. Uh like not the not the dancers or the waiters, but or not the dancers, but like some of the waiters, like Robbie, when he finds out that Robbie was the one who got Penny pregnant and Robbie was the one that kind of threw her aside. Even the way Robbie talks to him, it's like, thank you for helping Penny with that. You know, you know how it is. And that's when Jake's like, 
No, you're an asshole. Bobby. Good luck in medical school, son. And I wanted to thank you for your help with the penny situation. Because we've all gotten into messes like these. What? I thought baby told you. Look, I'm not sure. I mean, Penny said so, but you know with girls like that, they're liable to pin it on any guy around. Um, people put the blame on them. Fucking Vivian. Man, fuck her. Okay? Goddamn hoochie, okay? You, you know why? Because Vivian walks out of Robbie's... Or you said Robbie. I didn't know it was Robbie. Robbie's... I didn't know it was Robbie, but Robbie's... Um, yeah, because uh, Lisa, she, she has that whole line about like, oh, I think I'm going to do it with Robbie tonight. And then she goes over and then she sees Vivian on top of Robbie. Um, I didn't I didn't put that two to two, two together. But yeah, fucking Vivian. All right. Sees baby walking out of Johnny's cabin, knowing that they had hooked up, right, that they had been mm-hmm. together. She knows this. But instead of going to Johnny's defense. And because imagine instead of OK, instead of going to Johnny's defense and being like, no, it couldn't have been him. Right. She throws him under the bus like, no, it was Johnny. And she doesn't even know, like, the Schumachers were stealing things, right? And then when the opportunity presented itself, like, I'm assuming this all happened off screen. When the opportunity presented itself, she was like, you know what? It was probably Johnny because I saw him at the poker night. I think Vivian threw Johnny under the bus. Because she was upset. Because she was upset because he wouldn't fuck her. Yeah. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, you fucking someone younger. Oh, oh, I see how it is. Nah, fuck you. Okay, Johnny. This is what happens when you screw a rich lady over. And not literally, I mean metaphorically. <laughs> and she's like, get out of here. Be gone, wannabe. It's the kind of accusation that no matter what, Johnny's going to lose his job. That man is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because he either gets fired because he stole the 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 wallets, in quotes. Or he's fucking a guest. Well, he's either fired and... Uh, potentially put in jail or fired yeah and it's like oh shit what a great place to be in nah fuck vivian dude yeah but i don't think she's the only like bad person in the movie at the end when they everybody's dancing she's the only one that's like ugh, i'm gonna leave but like max max kellerman not a good dude neither is no is neil no no, neil is a piece of shit neil is uh, a perfect asshole I think yes, <laughs> Neil. Well, here's the thing. Robbie is gross. Like yeah. Robbie's a scumbag. Scumbag. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Scumbag's too light of a word. Oh my God, something you didn't even mention. We didn't. We haven't even talked about. Was the scene where they go? Is Robbie and Lisa? They like Neil and Baby. They like go off, and he's like trying to spit game at her, and it's awful. And then you see Robbie walking with Lisa, and Lisa said, "Lisa's distressed," and she says, "I don't hear an apology, Robbie." And then Robbie says, you should go back to your mom and dad. Maybe you'll hear an apology in your dreams. Which is like, that's a, okay. Can I just say like, that's a hint for like Lisa. Hey, maybe this isn't a good guy. And yet by the end, she's like, still like, I'm like, oh girl, what what the fuck is happening here? How common is that story though? A little too common. That's not something that's like, that's like unrealistic. And you're like, psh. It's not unrealistic, but you can't help but just be like, oh, my God, girl, like, open your eyes. It's like when you're watching reality TV and, like, clearly, like, the woman's going for the bad guy. And it's like, girl, just wake up. 
Yeah, you can say that as a dude watching it on TV, but I don't think you understand the reality of the situation for women like that in the 60s. And like the expectations that they're raised to have and what they're taught to to seek out in a partner. You know, it's a different perspective. Fair enough. That being said, Robbie's still a piece of shit that we can all smell from a mile away. Yeah. And I am so happy that he got the shit beat out of him. Because there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, a there's scene a, where that fight scene. I forgot. Right after like they're they're done checking up on Penny. And Robbie's like, oh, baby, I didn't know you were going to. He basically is like, oh, I didn't know you were going to put out so easily. I, I guess I got the wrong sister. Something, something along the line. Yeah. And boy, he gets the shit beat out of him. Ooh, <laughs> my boy Swayze hands it. And he could have gone a lot harder, too. He he gives Robbie a free lift. <laughs> He's like, hit me, hit me. <laughs> he hits Swayze and Swayze just gets back up and keeps hitting him. And once he throws him on the ground, he could go to town. Yeah, he could like roadhouse him and pull his throat out. <laughs> and he doesn't. Even when he's like super upset, Johnny's like, I'm better than you. You you you're not even worth it. Fuck Robbie. Okay. Yeah. Huge, huge tangent. But Robbie is like the worst person ever. I I absolutely I think so. But Neil, he's not openly gross, mm, but he's like to differ. He's condescending. He's yes. um he, he calls Johnny boy. You know, as a way to, like, put him down. I'm bigger than you, even though Swayze, like, towers over him. And, and the way he, like, puts his arms around baby, he's like, come on, doll, let's go for a walk. Oh, my God. I took this life, I took this girl away from this lifeguard, and he says, what does he have that I don't? And she says, two hotels. Neil is the rich, rich boy asshole, right? Like, they seem very polite and very... Uh, very yeah, like very, the kind of guy that you would introduce to your, to your uh, friend's daughter. Like, oh, look at look at my grandson. He's going to Harvard. Very civilized, very upper class, right? And that's what I mean by because Robbie's just a piece of shit. But Neil is very put together. Oh, look at his hair; it's so nicely combed. And yeah, oh, you know, he's he's part of a dynasty. And oh, mm-hmm. he went to Harvard or some shit like that. And it's the subtle, it's the subtle things that he's doing. The way, the like the way he said "doll," and hey, get yeah. over here, doll. You know what I mean? <laughs> the joke about the two hotels, the way he like tries to tower over Patrick. That's the shit where it's like, you're a piece of shit. But if I told other people, they wouldn't believe me because they'd say, yeah. "Oh, Neil is Neil is." But he's going to Harvard. <laughs> how can he be how can he be an asshole he's a harvard child you know and it's like you're just not seeing it the way i see it i th- I feel like there's a lot of people who are like vivian's the villain of this movie i'm like no there's several villains of this movie <laughs> uh i think it's just I easier mean, to hate her because she doesn't dance at the end yeah i mean yeah and and neil does um, I mean, I hate yeah, there are that multiple. Neil gets to dance with baby's mom. Well, think about it this way. Jake and, 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 uh, and baby's mom still think that Neil's a good boy. I bet you on the car ride, they're like, oh, that Neil boy, you know, I mean, if things don't work <laughs> out with Johnny, you know, do you think Johnny should... and baby continue their love affair? Oh, hell no. Hell no. That I don't buy it. I don't buy that. I don't think they do. 
Um, I, I... Oh, let me let me ask this. D- does the age difference of Baby's character and Johnny's character bother you at all? Okay. Let me take a sip of my water. Oh, maybe I should... I, I think that they also don't work out at, at the end. But I, I like the way it's open-ended. Like, the way that they're dancing. You can tell yeah. that there's, like, a dialogue going on and, like, a realization that once the summer ends, I'm going back and... You're staying here. It is open-ended because we don't know. Mm. You'd like to think that maybe, you know, I mean, you'd like to think that they found each other and that they're going to make it work regardless. But the reality is also pretty bleak that they just go their own separate ways and they never see each other again. You could, which whatever you'd like to think. Definitely a summer that will live with them forever. Yes, they will not forget about each other. Um, And I, I think that's the most important part. Now, does the age difference affect how I see it? Yes and no. <laughs> um, and it's weird because you mentioned that she was 16. I don't remember them saying that she was 16. They never do mention how old she they is. They never do. I think in the script it says that she's 17 and Johnny's supposed to be 24. But you get the impression that she's graduated high school. Jennifer Gray does not look like a 16-year-old. No, I think she was 24, 25 at the time of shooting this movie. Okay. And uh, she... Uh, Patrick Swayze was 34. Big age difference there. And you could even tell in the film. He looks like an he looks like an older man. Not mm-hmm. like 40s and stuff, but he, you know what I mean? She definitely looks younger. It didn't bug me because, number one, she doesn't come off as a 16-year-old. She comes off as a woman, mm-hmm. right? Especially when they're, when they're next to each other, right? And number two, it doesn't seem like... Well, not completely, but it doesn't seem predatory in a way. Yeah, because she's pursuing him. She's pursuing him, and it doesn't seem like Johnny is was interested in her. Like, he... I think he was a bit cautious of her. Like, when he first talks to her, he's like, what is she doing here? Like, yeah. she's an outsider. This is our club. Why'd you bring this rich kid in our club? But it doesn't seem like he's, like, preying on her, and, like, he's following her, and he's staring at her from afar. That's not really the case. She is trying to help this the situation that they're in, right? Revolving around Penny's child. And she's doing them a solid. And as they're spending time together, they're dancing together and they're you, they're being they're very close. They're very touchy, mm-hmm. obviously, because they're dancing. And it's like a relationship develops around there. I'm not and I say it's not totally predatory. There are moments where it is a little predatory. Like the scene where right after they danced, she's changing her she's changing into her clothes and you could kind of tell for a second that he's like staring at the rear mirror trying to see her mm-hmm. um unclothe herself. And it's moments like that I, that's like, ugh. I, I think that she's doing that on purpose though. Yeah, but he shouldn't be looking either way though. He sh- he, he shouldn't be, but he shouldn't be. But maybe she is, maybe she isn't, but I'm like don't assume. That being said, it didn't bother me. But when you said that she's a 16-year-old, I was just like, why was that even a thing that had to be? Do you, like, it's not mentioned yeah. in the film. I, but I'm I, like, I remembered it incorrectly. She's supposed to be 17. It's um, still, still a bit weird. I, you could have just made it very easily. Like, She has graduated high school, though. Yeah. You know? so she's not. Just, she's not. It's not like Johnny Castle was dating a high schooler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't bug me this. I would put this in a scenario where it's like, call me by your name, where is there an age discrepancy? 
yeah. Uh, does it bother me? Not really. Little moments here and there, particularly for this film, not for Call Me By Your Name. It didn't bug me. It didn't. It didn't bug me because I, I got the impression that she had graduated high school. This was she wasn't still in high school, and how she pursues him. I mean, it's not like he's constantly on her ass, just being like, oh, "You've never been with a bad boy because you're a rich kid." Uh, what's that Billy Joel song? Um, Uptown Girl. Yeah. It's not like that scenario where the guy's like, "Hey, you want to come with me? You wanna, you wanna ride on the on the mean streets?" You know, it's not like that. He, <laughs> what the fuck? He, I don't know, man. What's going you know, on in your head? I don't know. It's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird place. There's one thing that that uh, bothered me. Like I think doesn't really hold up very well, and it's well, how the movie kind of treats Lisa, her older sister. <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 go for it because well, there's that scene with robbie right where he says if you want to hear an apology you go to your mom and dad and maybe you'll hear one in your dreams right she's mm-hmm. not only distressed but she's like fixing her clothes so like mm-hmm. what happened between them how yeah in my mind it's like this it can't be anything other than some kind of sexual assault like maybe he yeah. tried to to reached down her shirt and she wasn't comfortable and then he didn't apologize for it i don't think that it was like uh rape because she's she says something later on that makes me feel like she's still a virgin like i've decided to go all the way with robbie tonight something like that so it's like okay so she didn't have sex with him but he clearly put his hand somewhere where she wasn't comfortable right which is sexual assault yes and she says she, to, to get out of like the Neil situation where she sees Penny and she's like, oh, I don't want Neil to see this. She tells Neil, I better go check on Lisa. She never checks on Lisa. She's just kind of there to like be laughed at because she's like, yes, her, her ideals and priorities are skewed. Right. She's going after this guy who's clearly bad, who we as the audience see is a bad guy. Um, so we see her as kind of dumb and ditzy. And yes. then she has that performance at the talent show's practice or whatever. That's that's like a big fucking joke. Awful. And then even the the final performance thing, the the Kellerman's goodbye or whatever. Jesus. Even the parents, they're just like looking at each other like, "Yeah, yeah, I know, but she's our daughter." <laughs> you know? I do agree 100% that Lisa is treated like a joke. Um when uh when her and Robbie were walking past um baby that night because i was like because again i'm i i had known that abortion was playing into this and i was like wait is this how wait, how is this gonna work and mm. first i i went like oh yeah the, he he must have um it doesn't go into that into what happened specifically but i was like oh something something weird's happening between her and robbie and instead of treating her like an actual kind of character someone who you know it's because it, again you're right we we see the audience we see her as ditzy i'm watching her pursue robbie even though they had some kind of altercation her, she's still going after robbie i'm like what the fuck are you doing i'm acting like baby why don't you just stand up for yourself why do you have to take <laughs> yeah. it from max why are you doing why why, why are you being yeah. such a and and all on all i needed was lisa and in this scenario you know johnny to tell me it's not that easy it's not that clear cut do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we don't get that because again, by the very end, even into this podcast, I'm like, what the f- 
fuck is she doing? Why are you so stupid? Like, Robbie's clearly a piece of shit, and you're still pursuing him. In fact, you're going to lose your virginity, uh, uh, you know, we're assuming, to this dude? What the fuck? And it took you to real. it took you, it took for you to, to tell me, like, hey, man, six were a different time. You weren't around. Like, it, it, there's a very different mindset going on. I'm like, okay, that's a good point. And maybe it would have been nice to have Lisa actually sit down with Baby and Baby kind of explain, like, there's only one scene where you see Lisa as like a sincere character and it's after Johnny leaves and she's like, oh, I could do your hair and make it pretty. No, it's is pretty the way it is loose. The one sincere scene. And they actually they actually have a scene where Lisa says, I'm going to sleep with Robbie. I'm going to go all the way with him. And baby doesn't isn't really sure what to do. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of co- this is kind of good drama because she knows what happened with uh, she knows what happened with Penny. So. But instead, it's like, it should be with someone you love. And she's like, what do you know? You're just mad that you're not daddy's little girl anymore. He listens when I talk. I think the film could have treated Lisa a bit more maturely and just with with a bit more maturity and kind of dwell into that a little bit. Because I I think that could have been interesting because there are tones. There are feminist undertones throughout Mm -hmm. the film. Uh, And I thought that would have been a really interesting choice. I think that would have been really, I think it would have made Lisa a more compelling character rather than just someone that we're supposed to laugh at, which we, we do <laughs> laugh at. Yeah. She is kind of, she is kind of dumb in the way mm-hmm. in the film right now, you know, she's talking about what she's going to do at the talent show and you actually <laughs> see it. And it's oh. funny because she's performing during the practice. She's singing while there's this prostitution scene happening with Johnny's like, I can't. Vivian goes oh, up Oh, yeah, she sings her that entire scene. This is our last night together, lover. I've got something worked out for us. Oh, excuse me, sir. The pirate number is next. Oh, yeah, thanks. Hey, kid. Listen, you know I play cards all weekend, and I got an all-night game tonight. Why don't you uh, give my wife some extra dance lessons? Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Pressman, but I'm booked up the whole weekend, you know, to show and everything, so I won't have time for anything else, and I don't think it'd be fair to take the money. And you can whack her all you want, and you can whack her while I walk away. And you can whack her all you want, and you can whack her while I walk away. That was a weird scene because Vivian is basically like, "All right, baby, get re- get ready tonight, Johnny, because you're gonna you're gonna have to fuck my brains out." She doesn't say that. I've arranged but... something with my husband, and she like walks him over, and he's like, "Oh, give my wife some dance lessons," and he gives him like a hundred dollar bill. Yeah, which was weird because I was like, "Oh, I didn't know he knew that this was a thing." I don't think I, he I'm, cares. I'm convinced that. <laughs> He knows what's happening. I'm convinced he's a cuck. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm convinced. This scene where Vivian is approaching and paying Johnny for his services, and Johnny is standing up for himself, and he's like, "I'm booked." And all this is happening. Meanwhile, Lisa's fucking belting out her songs. It's like, oh my god, Lisa, you're a fucking punchline to this movie. Please leave. Uh, there's even that that scene where she's Jake, the dad. He threatens to leave, and th- then he's like, "Oh, I changed my mind. What were you gonna sing for the talent show, Lisa?" 
and as soon as she starts talking, he just gets up and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and she just, I'm going to follow him. So, Lisa, what were you planning to sing? I feel pretty. Or what do the simple folk do? Or I feel pretty. What do you think, Daddy? And, oh, maybe he didn't like that suggestion. I'll go back to the other one. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she, uh, yeah, man, she's a joke. It's funny. And then it's like, this is kind of sad. It is. I think, I, I'm, you know, the movie is slightly humorous. But oh, I it, think it, it just. It, I, oh, my God. I, I think the hardest I laughed was when she admits to everybody Johnny was with me all night. And then it's just a hard cut to Jake looking at the lake in silence. Yeah. Well, that was unintentionally <laughs> funny. Maybe that's just the, how the media wants to present attractive women. Because Lisa is, is attractive. Maybe that's how we're just used to seeing attractive women on TV and stuff. Because, I mean, reality shows do this as well. Yeah. You'll have these women who are being swooned by these guys. And as the audience, we have we understand the entire the entire situation this dramatic irony at its core we understand what the main characters yeah. don't and we're like you stupid bimbo what is wrong with you but rarely do we ever empathize with them or we don't see things from their perspective right yeah and it's like and i think that's a scenario with lisa where it's very much like we're laughing at her but we don't really understand what's happening and from a movie that had that was going this far into all these different topics mm -hmm. i was like i was slightly disappointed by that i was yeah, like it's the it's like the only thing I don't like about this movie because everything else is so good. Oh, yeah. The, the chemistry between uh, Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, so good. Very My good. The, I love the, Jennifer Grey in this movie. She's so good. She manages to, to, to ride that line between being kind of ignorant to what's really happening. But, but her also, heart's in the right place. And I, yeah. I, I, I think that a lot of people like get like checked. And then they're like, oh, well, then I guess I can't do anything right. And they kind of throw their hands up and like, nah. But Jennifer Grey is not that. In the moments that were that could have taken us to, uh, to, to a road to disliking her, the writers know oh, we're not going to do that. For example, writer. when she had, oh, sorry, writer, Eleanor, uh, which this is, I read this was slightly based on some events that had happened. She had mm -hmm. gone to uh, this kind of vacation spot with her family before. Yeah. And um, she liked Dirty Dancing. Um, and she actually wrote a script with that ended up, oh, shoot, what was the name of the movie? It's My Turn, where she wrote into the script that there's like this sexy dance with uh, Michael Douglas and mm. they ended up cutting it from the movie. So she's like, all right, my next movie, all dirty dancing. It was <laughs> <laughs> hey, good for her. And she was smart enough to know. I need to be careful because I need because I can't have audiences dislike uh baby. I can't have audiences dislike baby. And you know, those scenes where the the the, the fake conflict comes into play. How many women have you slept? Why don't you just stand up for yourself? It's scenes like that where they could have taken baby in a very different direction and instead, no, they solve those they talk about what's happening. They talk about the issues there and mm -hmm. it it endears us more to baby. Because we realize that she is someone who's willing to listen and open her eyes. And put herself at risk for other people. Exactly. And the fact this goes along really well with the fact that she's trying to help Penny. And that she's trying to, she's she's learning how to dance in order to substitute, for in, in order to take Penny's spot. Even though she is 
pet terrible at dancing. Yeah. So you know how they're during like those two montages. I think the first one is to like wipe out and then it goes into the hungry eyes, mm-hmm. which might be my favorite song from the movie. Oh, really? OK. That that sequence like she just it's very clear. She doesn't know how to how to dance. Yeah. Right. There's that scene where she, during the montage where she's like on the bridge and then she's trying to do it by herself. And then she gets frustrated and like dad kicks the, kicks the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that felt really authentic to me. That was pretty funny. I I could I could sympathize with her a lot. Mm-hmm. I was thinking I, like, uh, yeah, that would be me. I play a lot of fighting games, and fighting games are kind of like you need to have some kind of rhythm skill because it's doing the combos, pressing the buttons at the right time. Mm-hmm. That was probably me at some point trying to learn some combos and some fighting games. Totally sympathize with that. I got no game and I got no dance skills. So that could never mm-hmm. be me. And I was like, <laughs> Jennifer Grey, I was like, yep, I yeah, let's go to the corner and let's just watch. And then there's that part where they're doing the like he's putting her hands up on like near her armpits and like brushing down. <laughs> yeah. And she keeps laughing. It just could be Did like, you... God damn it. He's just like, come on, get it together. That was actually real. Oh, like, really? The, she wasn't supposed to laugh. But the the director I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to the director for this one because this director came from the world of documentary filmmaking. This was his first feature length movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. So a lot of these sequences that we love were just kind of moments that were captured, you know, organically. Mm-hmm. Like he was getting pissed because Patrick Swayze has a background in dance. Mm-hmm. They also have some history together. Um because he was in Red Dawn and Jennifer Grey was also in Red Dawn. <gasps> and oh. they did not get along. Oh, what? Um, For Red Dawn? From Red Dawn, they did not get along. Oh, snap. So so like when they were casting the movie, right? They're like, they're tossing our names like Sarah Jessica Parker and Billy Zane. And for this movie, for for yes. uh, okay. The, for Dirty Dancing. Val Kilmer was in the running for Patrick Reed's yeah. role. Yeah, um, but they you could actually see some of the the stuff with Billy Zane. And man, I love Billy Zane. Not a good dancer. <laughs> From what I saw anyway, maybe the you know how there's that Netflix show, the sh- movies that made us. Mm-hmm. There's an episode on Dirty Dancing and you can actually see some of this behind the scenes footage and get a lot more more from like the trivia of this movie and the, the making of it then we can provide in this two hour ish podcast but it just doesn't look good right and then they get patrick swayze and they're like he actually has a background in dance I'm like oh okay perfect if you're if the character is a dance instructor mm-hmm. and you want that to be believable can they get you have to get someone who can dance it's as yeah. simple as that so casting patrick swayze was a very smart move plus he's hot so oh yeah it's so it'd be easy <laughs> oh we need a character yeah. who can dance and who's hot it's like that, fucking just get patrick swayze the episode made it seem like eleanor had a crush on patrick swayze <laughs> but i don't know it's you know that you make those documentaries to be entertaining yeah um and that's an entertaining narrative but they did not get along during and, red dawn yes Got according it. to this i think uh, the writer says it Jennifer Grey said anybody but Patrick Swayze <laughs> because of how much they didn't get along. Ooh. Um, but then they they talk it out and they like agree to like 
do the movie. And a lot of that frustration is that you see from Patrick Swayze to Jennifer Grey when he's trying to do the move and she keeps laughing. That was real because <laughs> he was getting mad that she couldn't get it, that she couldn't stop laughing, couldn't be serious. But it makes for such a great moment because it's that it's a classic like Karate Kid, Rocky montage where like the person is doing the thing, but they're not good yet. And then as the song keeps going, they get better and better at it. And then, then you know, the master's like, now you're ready. You know, <laughs> it's just just with dancing. Well, what's funny is that scene did not stick out for to me as being as hinting at all this conflict and stuff. I didn't know that was because Patrick Swayze has that has those same reactions in the other parts of the montage where he's teaching her. He mm -hmm. looks frustrated. He looks like someone who's in who's under pressure, who they need to land this. They, she can't go up there embarrassing him like that because they're all going to speak badly of him and they might not bring him on for another year. It works very much in line with the story. It's not like just an outtake that, oh, let's just include it in. It fits very well into the narrative of the film. Mm -hmm. That's um, really cool. I guess when you're, when you have this kind of relationship with somebody like I'm mad at you. Um, it kind of plays off like tension and on film, sometimes that tension looks sexual, you know? Yeah. I, I think they did have some kind of mutual understanding or mutual respect for each other. Uh, at least Jennifer Grey did because she never said anything bad about him. In the film, you can't you can't tell that, that she's had a past with him where they didn't get along. In mm -hmm. the film, you buy that they're into yeah. each other. Uh, there's that sequence, which might be my second favorite part, with um, a Love is Strange, where she plays a song and then it's like, oh, Sylvia, mm -hmm. how do you call your lover boy? And she's like, oh, lover boy. Like that whole sequence with them like crawling on the ground. Was it supposed like, to be in the film? No, it was just them goofing around, captured on film. And it is so great. It's funny because so I've seen like pictures of that scene and I never understood what was happening. And so I just knew people were being romantic. But like watching actually watching it for the first time all the way through, I was like, this is a great scene. It's so good. The fact that it wasn't planned, it wasn't written is like even better. Mm hmm. Ah, oh, that was so great. And it's believable. And. In where in where it takes place in the story, it makes a lot of sense. They of course they're playing, playing, they're toying with each other, playing around. That's yeah. At that point in the story, it makes sense. It's so wonderful that he was the director was able to find these moments of the actors being natural and having mm -hmm. this natural chemistry, or as natural as it can be for film, and inserting it into the film in appropriate times. Mm -hmm. Very very good job on him yeah. and on the actors as well for yeah going with it and. A little bit more about the actors. Uh, Patrick Swayze actually had like this really bad knee injury. And that's why he didn't really do a lot of dancing before this. He was he wanted to be an actor, not a, known for a dancer. And because his knee was in pain. And in this movie, he didn't use the stunt double. At all, which might not have been the best choice, because there's that scene where they're on the logs mm -hmm. and he Ooh. is showing her like, oh, Lifting is all about balance, and he's balancing himself on the logs. He actually fell, and he hurt his knee, already injured knee, and yeah, he, they had to stop production for a while. And then I think at, towards the end of the movie, when he does that big jump off the stage, mm -hmm. I, 
the story is that he got it on the last one because his knee was about to go out. Damn, my boy pulled it through. Yeah, I like, couldn't. I couldn't tell he had a. I can't tell that he had a knee injury. I, I couldn't tell either. There's like that one scene where he's, where they're like uh, practicing, and he's like, "Ah, what are you trying to do? Kill me?" Where it's like, what was that reaction inspired by her hitting his knee or something? Was that real? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's it's tough to say, but I mean, maybe a dancer could tell that he was injured or something just because yeah. they, they, they're familiar with these with dance moves and stuff. But from the film, I could never tell that he, he was injured. That yeah. that log scene had me really anxious because I'm like, oh, God, don't if he if he opens his legs and he doesn't get him back in time, that man's going to hurt hurt his junk so much. And I can't <laughs> I can't look at that. I don't want to look at that. It was all real like that. That log was actually that high up. You know, it's like, why would you risk it for this scene right here? Yeah. <laughs> for something that didn't have to really be there. It could have been done. any. It could have been any other scene. Uh, no, but uh, that's I, I'm really surprised to hear that they didn't get along because I can't I couldn't tell through the mm-hmm. film in the film. You buy that they're into each other, that, that they're equally yeah. into each other, which kind of lends it some of that, you know, like, oh, this isn't creepy because he's a lot older than her. She's into him. So you just mm-hmm. buy it. You're like, yeah, man. Like, they want to fuck each other's brains out. Like, this is totally <laughs> cool. This is what I'm talking about. This is how you film romance, right? Because Absolutely. Because we were talking about how this movie wasn't R-rated. It avoided the R rating by removing a couple of curse words and stuff. But there are a lot of sexual suggestive scenes where they're dancing. And that's what I'm talking about. I always come back to this. I just like seeing some romance that's a bit more raw. Like, I don't need it all the time, but just mm-hmm. every so often. And this movie treats romance like romance. It is romantic and it is hot and it is sexy. And it does the same thing that Velvet Goldmine does it. But it doesn't... Velvet Goldmine, yeah, there are actual explicit sex scenes. It fits with the movie. This one, they got away with it for a PG-13 rating. And even if it was made today, I wouldn't get an R rating. Because it's not... You don't see penises or vaginas or anything. You don't see... You don't see... You don't see them... It's all implied with the grinding. It's romantic. You know? And you... It, adds to the chemistry that they have and i'm like yes this is mm-hmm. not every movie needs to have this but it's just nice to have you know like because it helps you buy into the chemistry and i'm like god you know i just i always i always go back to marvel and just their ben- white bread ass romances <laughs> or it's just like well, you haven't seen jessica jones have you i, I have the first season well because she's she's <laughs> with um luke cage luke cage which is an exception but the, I don't I even think that's count- the first the first like Marvel sex scene is, is that I don't even count it, though, because like it was Netflix who made it. And plus, it's like R rated. They're not the 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 main attraction of the Marvel mm-hmm. universe. You know, it's, they're like side stories, which I appreciated that romance as well. But I'm talking about like Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Rachel Adams, uh, Chris Evans and Haley Atwell fucking chris patton where are you going with this all of these all of these romances are white bread as fuck none of them have <laughs> any real romance there's nothing i i i, I buy them in terms of yeah they, they're two people that get along but there's no like chemistry like no real red hot chemistry none of them like i like all these actors i like all of them but none of them have the same chemistry that Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey have. None of them. The chemistries aren't even aren't even close even, to it. They're not even playing the same game. They're not even in the same <laughs> fucking sport. 
<laughs> you, you know what I mean? And look, I'm not I know what say, you mean. I'm not saying that it's all supposed to be like this, but it'd be nice. The reason they're not as romantic as they could be is because it's not family friendly, right? Because you can't have two, uh, yeah. two the two leads dancing in a sensual way without parents being like oh close your eyes you can't look at oh but my kid can't see humping or they can't see dancing that's a little suggestive go close your eyes yeah and that uh, grow up yes (laughs) of all of the couples i mentioned can't one of them just slightly be be more slightly romantic you can make something that's pg-13 and still have it be hot that's this is how you do it thank you yep so, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that I wanted to figure out what happened to Jennifer Gray's career afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Because I know her from these two movies, um, and not much else afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. And I did find out, and it's it's kind of sad. What so happened? before, like I think the week before or five days before this movie came out in the theaters in the summer of. 1987 she was actually dating matthew broderick and they were on a vacation in ireland and there was a really awful car accident where he was injured and she had sustained some like really bad neck injuries and the people that they crashed into died oh that so she while this movie was in theaters and while it was you know, becoming like this huge sleeper hit. She didn't do any of the press for it because she was like traumatized by this car accident. She had like really bad survivor's guilt. Yeah. And then afterwards in the early nineties, she was in a few movies here and there. I'm nothing really big. And then in the early nineties, she got plastic surgery to like a, to fix her nose or, or something. And then she had to get another surgery to fix that surgery. Um, And then, like, she looked very different afterwards. And maybe because of that, that huge change to her appearance, she wasn't, like, the recognizable Jennifer Grey that everybody fell in love with during Dirty Dancing. Mm -hmm. But I think also part of it, she never really um, dealt with the pain from the car accident, like the physical trauma. Mm-hmm. Wasn't until around when Patrick Swayze died in 2009. Cause like, you know, that show dancing with the stars. Yeah. They tried to get her to come on cause she's baby. She's dirty dancing, yeah. you know? And she was like, no, I don't want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. Then when Patrick Swayze died, I think that she had neck surgery around then. And they discovered a tumor in her neck. Uh, cause like the, the spinal cords were compressed and she was able to get that fixed. And she had realized that I'd been living in pain all this time. And sweet Patrick Swayze's just passed away. He was so fearless on the set of dirty dancing. Maybe I should like, I should go back and do go back to dancing and, and try to enjoy myself and celebrate parts of my life that I had not allowed myself to before. Um, and then she, ended up winning i think that season that she was on she was in a short-lived show in the late 90s which kind of like poked fun at herself she she played herself on the show called 
um, It's Like, You Know, which is about this New Yorker coming to L.A. and he meets all his L.A. friends. One of them is actually Jennifer Grey. uh, And he like hates L.A. culture. It's not a very good show. I watched a few episodes of it. Oh, in Um, preparation for this podcast? Yeah. It's all on YouTube. You can find episodes of it on YouTube. Not aged very well. (laughs) I'll just say that. Um, But there's a scene in the show where she's like pulled over by the police. And then they don't recognize her because of her plastic surgery. Oh, really? Yeah. She's like, Jennifer Grey? Yeah, right. You don't look anything like her. I mean, I'm glad to hear that she eventually tried to reconcile with that part of her life, that history, because, yeah, that that's wild, dude. I had heard about that accident. Mm-hmm. I think there are like there's like some a list that I saw on like Looper or something where it was like, here is a list of celebrities you didn't know have have killed people. And Matthew Broderick was on that list. I was like, he killed someone. I think I read that it was a car crash. I just didn't recognize yeah. Jennifer Grey because I, I just didn't know about her. She was in in the car. Uh, she has a quote about it saying that like one minute we were listening to music and then the next minute we were not. It's like car accidents can mess you up, you know, and especially like being in the passenger side and like you're the car that you're in killing two people. Yeah. You know? And like I'm I'm alive, they're not. Like survivor's guilt is a real thing. Yeah. Absolutely. That that must be fucking trippy, man. I found an article that was saying that Dirty Dancing, a new Dirty Dancing movie with Jennifer Grey confirmed by Lionsgate CEO John what? Feltheimer. Yeah, this was... Is it Dirty Dancing, really? New Dirty Dancing movie. And it was written... This article was written August 6, 2020. Oh. That was... A year ago. <laughs> it's not... Uh, yeah, oh, it is a year ago. But I mean, that's still... If this were five years ago, then I'd be like, this movie's never happening. But like last year, I mean, movies are announced way in advance. You know, this article, just her finally, she she's executive producing this. She's starring in mm-hmm. it. In this sequel, and I'm like, that kind of goes in line with what you were saying. The article reads, Lionsgate CEO confirmed what we first told you back in mid-July in what he billed as one of the most, as one of the worst kept secrets in Hollywood. Jennifer Grey is starring and executive producing a new Dirty Dancing movie at the Mini Major. Um, uh, the film won an Oscar and Golden Globe for the original song, I've Had the Time of My Life, which is my favorite song. You you mentioned one earlier, I think. Oh, I, I love that song, too. Yeah. But like, that's the one everybody loves. I know. You know? I'm being, it's I'm such being, a great scene. I'm oh. being such a basic bitch, but I love that movie. I love that song. But it was supposed to be... Well, here's the interesting thing. It says that Warm Bodies director Jonathan Levine is shepherding the project with Jillian Broder from a screenplay from Mickey Daughtry and Tobias Iaconis, who was a part of Five Feet Apart, Five Feet Apart, and The Curse of La Llorona. But I looked at Jonathan Levine's like IMDb, and there's nothing in here about Dirty Dancing sequel or anything. Mm-hmm. He is directing episodes of the new Hulu show Nine Perfect Strangers with Nicole mm-hmm. Kidman. But that's it. There's no there's nothing else about Dirty Dancing sequel. So I'm thinking, well, this was announced in August of 2020 last year, a year ago. It's not that mm-hmm. long ago, but it's there's nothing up there about it. I'm like, was the project dropped? Maybe. Cause how do you cause here's the thing, how do you make a sequel 
without Patrick Swayze. I like I like Jennifer Grey. Yeah, but yeah. you know, on the poster, it's them too. It's literally mm-hmm. just them too. There's nothing else <laughs> on the poster. It's a white background, and it's just them too. I think this is one of those movies where you can you can see the influence that all the creative people had. You know, like you could because this the writer, right? She wrote this off of like some experiences in her own life. She was very um, insistent on getting this abortion plot in the movie, getting all these songs in the movie. This was a small production company, so they couldn't pay for all this music. But somehow they found a way and got all the music that she wanted to. She never had to get her second choice, mm-hmm. you know. And the the director catching these moments that were that you know another director might have just thrown away as outtakes and putting them in this movie and them just like living in our minds forever, you know. Like mm-hmm. all these all these people brought something to the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that sequel would look like with without them. Yeah, that that is an interesting point. It's like. The movie revolved, the movie was told from a very personal angle. It was clearly a film that we have something to say. Mm-hmm. And without that message and without Patrick Swayze, I'm like, how? I'm not saying it's not doable. Uh, yeah, I'm but probably going to watch it regardless. But <laughs> If it gets made, yeah, I'm going to watch it too. But it, it, it does make you think like, who would you, who who is this movie for though? I mean, this this kind of goes into what's been happening in Hollywood. A sequel sequels to long overdue films or films from a long time ago. Sometimes there's an audience, sometimes there isn't. Space Jam: A New Legacy it had an audience, but it was really just attracting new kids, right? You have the sequel to Top Gun, right, with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. That's a big giant blockbuster film, but like, there have been some sequels to films that bombed. We'll see. I mean, I, we could be wrong, but uh, I don't think there are enough young kids being like, oh, yo, let's go watch the Dirty Dancing sequel. It's like, I guarantee you a bunch of kids are being like, what the fuck is that? Who's Patrick Swayze? Oh, man. Which is a sad thing because he's uh, he's uh, he's fantastic. But he's so he's great in this movie and he he's great in Roadhouse, too. God <laughs> damn it, man. You need to go watch Roadhouse and get it out of your system. You've been talking about this movie nonstop. <laughs> it's. Is there anything else you want to mention about the movie? Uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film. Um, definitely caught me by surprise. And it's it's weird because the movie uh, has like a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 70 critics. And I'm like... Yeah, some critics did not like this movie. Uh, Roger Ebert gave this a one star. One star? One star. He said it was, he said it was bad. And he said it was like a predictable... Uh, West Side Story remake. Oh, wow, that's kind of harsh. I like Roger Ebert. Yeah. But that man has some You're wrong, terrible, dude. Yeah, you're wrong. I, he has some <laughs> terrible takes sometimes, and that's one. And he's wrong about Transformers as well. But, you know, uh, but the, <laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, this was an interesting movie to revisit because I think it is better than people gave it credit for. Um, yeah. Maybe not this... as, maybe not to the same degree as something like Velvet Goldmine. But it's still really good to go back and rewatch it. And especially now where all the, a lot of these things are coming up against so, like, movies about uh, movies about uh, about women and feminism and social class and structure. You know, I mean, 2019, we were still we're still talking about that Joker and and uh, Parasite talking about uh, rich people and poor people and stuff. And it's like, yeah, 
we're never going to stop talking about it. And this movie was talking about it then. I, I do like how it's kind of framed as a, um, it's kind of nostalgically looking back at the past because it is a movie in the eighties and some of the songs are definitely very eighties, mm-hmm. but the, the, the movie takes place in the sixties, right? And you have all these old songs. Um, yep. and it, it's kind of framed as the, the summer before Kennedy died, which is kind of like the summer before America lost its innocence or whatever. You know? yeah. I, I wonder if they would do that again for the sequel. And like said it before 9-11 or something. I mean, there is this obsession with nostalgia, right? That people seem it's to have right specifically now. Specifically this like, like this innocence that, that you like, you grow up, you know, you grow yeah. out of it. Like, yeah, like I, I think that's like, kind of are... like important to the, the plot of the movie. And I wonder if that's going to come back in the sequel. Watching this movie, I, I loved it. For the, Watching this movie for the first time, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was great. I was surprised. Mm. The one thing that... The, the things that didn't age too well, Lisa... Uh, Lisa didn't age well. Some of the cinematography did not age well. There were some moments where I could tell this was a low-budget film. Uh, there are some moments where it's great, right? And there are mm-hmm. other moments where I'm like, okay, you're, you're, you're trying to do some tricks, but you're not tricking me. For example, there's like, <laughs> a, there's like an exterior shot of a cabin where it, when where it's clearly supposed to be raining outside, but if you look, the dirt is still dry. Oh. Like it, the dirt is still dry. The, the oh, and he's like doing his like angry walk to the car, and he sees that he's locked the keys in the car. Yeah, it, that doesn't. No, not, I mean not that one. I, I that one didn't catch me. It was just an exterior shot where I was like, the grass isn't wet, the dirt isn't wet. <laughs> like we all know what dirt looks like when it's wet. And that was dry. And I was like, I don't think that that, and I don't know how you see these things and it like, you make a note of it. But then there's other stuff where it's like, oh, I didn't catch that. I'm like, what the hell? I don't know. I want to see a movie through your eyes once. I think it's interesting. I I don't know why, but I just caught it. I think we watched the suicide squad. You're complaining about peacekeepers helmet. I'm like, what the hell? And that movie's on HBO Max. So I went back and looked at those scenes that you were talking about. I didn't see anything wrong. It's 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 not straight, bro. I'm gonna take screenshots of it and send. Please it to do because it's I not. Did. It's not that the helmet is like. It's just not sitting on his nose properly. Dylan said he saw it too. It's not. Yeah, sit- it's, it's not the kind sitting- of thing where somebody says something and you're like, oh no, yeah, yeah. His his helmet <laughs> is slightly is slightly uh leaning. It's not sitting on his nose. The nose part of the helmet is not sitting on his nose. So it's like, I know. And I went back and I watched it and I noticed it in even more scenes. Because I was like, oh, it was like in two scenes. I was like, oh, no, it's a lot more. His 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 helmet, that helmet's not sitting properly on his face. And I was like, it's bugging me. I just, you know, I, I don't know how I, I noticed this stuff. It's there, though. A hundred percent. I'm going to send you. We're going to watch this movie together. And I'm going to pause it in all the moments and be like, see? It's like, it's like in The Incredibles. <laughs> It's like in the Incredibles uh, when he when the Dash is the teacher caught Dash putting a thumbtack on his chair, and everyone looks at him like he's crazy. But he's right though; <laughs> he is right. <laughs> they think he's crazy, but he's right. Um, no, I just I noticed it. I I think what they did was they grabbed like they put like they made it rain right in front of the camera, but like everything else, like they put a hose. And they ripped ho- like ho- like holes in it or something mm-hmm. to make it seem like it was raining. But 
again, you didn't notice it, so it's clearly not a big deal. And for how much money they had, like, they used it very effectively. I don't know how many sets they had, like, actual sets, like, the interior. They filmed in two locations, I think. One for the, like, the resort, like, Mm -hmm. outside, and then in another place um, that was cheaper, like, like at a boys' camp or something. It, like where you see like the 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 dance scenes and the outside of the cabins and all that. They tricked me because I yeah. could not tell the difference. I thought it was. I couldn't all, tell either. It all looked like it was at the same location. You really bought it. The cast, they 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 paid they, they paid for good actors. They got good actors. Not one not one person is really bad. So I was like, you use your money very effectively. There are totally. some they there are some little moments where I could I could kind of spot it, but. It's not really a big deal. At this point, it's just nitpicky. It, that, that's all yeah. it is. It's, it's just being <laughs> it's being nitpicky. I re, I realize it, and that's why I'm letting you guys know. But does that hurt? Does that DIYness hurt my enjoyment of the film? No, it doesn't. Uh, I I still I still think this movie's great, and I totally recommend it. Uh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Let's get to our quotes. Let's get to our quotes. Uh, earlier, do you want to go first, or do you want yeah, me to go first? I I was talking. I was being the basic bitch when I said I like um, the time of my life. Uh, and I'm going to be a basic bitch with my quote. My quote is, nobody puts baby in a corner. It's got to be nobody puts baby in the corner. Yeah, it's, it's got to be. I've heard that quote, but I never knew where it was from. And now I know. When he said, when 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 uh, when Johnny said that quote, I, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, ding! <gasps> oh my God. I That's where it's from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That happens all yeah. the time. If you've never seen Star Wars and then you see Empire Strikes Back and it's like, no, I am your father. A, a father. A light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, that's where it's from. So, yeah, that's how it's it, it's such. And that's going to be my quote, too, because it's such a great like ending sequence. Mm-hmm. And you, you're like, yes, you know, it's it reminds me of wrestling when like you have like the bad guy work the crowd and they're saying all these bad things. And then all of a sudden you hear the music of the good guy and the crowd goes crazy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. As soon as Johnny walks in, it's like Johnny. Exactly. The and then he walks over to the table. Nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> Boom. Perfect execution. It's funny is like the, the screenwriter, she thought it was a bad line and Patrick Swayze didn't want to say it either. <laughs> but the director made him do it. I guess so. They're like, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of a cheesy line. It doesn't even make any sense. She's not even in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's but a metaphorical it's, corner, damn it. The way he says it and like what's about to happen, it's like, all right, they're going to dance in front of everybody and they're going to end this awful song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Damn. That uh, was no, that's a, that's got to be my quote, man. I'm a basic vision. And, and you know what? I got I got I was even relating it to the film. Like nobody puts dirty dancing in a corner. Dude, when I was watching it again, I think Leanna was doing something. Um, and then when that scene came on, she like ran over and turned off all the other lights and sat down to watch that. scene. <laughs> it's cathartic. It's so good. It's phenomenal. All right. That's about it for this episode of Retrograde Podcast. Um, next, in two weeks, do you remember what movie we're covering? Oh, do I? We're going to be talking about one of my favorites, Drive. One? Can, I, um, can I tell you something, George? I know you don't like it. I didn't like it. Sorry. 
Oh. Not, I didn't, uh, I, we'll get into it on that episode. Yeah, but. I don't think, from how you said it, it's not an Independence Day scenario. No. But you're not a fan of it. I would rather watch Drive than Independence Day. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I love Independence Day, but I'd rather watch Drive. Drive is one of my favorites. I love this awesome. movie, and I have a great story to talk about how I first watched. I have a great story that summarizes how I my first time watching this movie, and it's great. So that's that is the next film that we will be talking about. So if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars; helps other people find the podcast. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at retrograde underscore pod. We also have a YouTube channel where we post our trailers and our shorts and we'll be on TikTok soon and we're on Facebook, but you know, it's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.